Hey, welcome to the Upload Iceberg. If the upload is the content you see above the water as the viewer, I'll cover the journey and data behind growing a YouTube channel that you can't see in the murky depths below the surface. I'm Dan, and this is episode 11, recorded after hitting 3,500 subscribers on February 3rd, 2024. Today is the fourth, and this will be a short episode. I'm working on a batch of our seven videos. I have it here. We'll spend the bulk of the podcast talking about my experience with this body. But because I've produced no content in this period, we'll look at the analytics real quickly and then get right into the R7 thoughts. The milestone period is from January 7th through February 3rd. This is our 28-day period here, and that's where we hit 3,500 subscribers. And that's kind of a nice, neat, round number. I started this podcast at 2,500, so 3,500 is a nice 1,000 subscribers in here for this particular project. For the thumbnail, I'll probably post an actual picture of the R7, something a little bit closer to a video thumbnail. For the next batch of thumbnails, I think I'm going to do that, make more legit ones. I haven't been notifying subscribers when I post these podcasts. I've ticked that checkbox off during upload. So going to experiment with trying some, I don't know, just some different thumbnails, more like these recent two, less like this first batch just so that I can get a good couple handfuls of things to compare click-through rates. You know, first batch with this version of thumbnail and then second batch with something a little bit more like this, more normal. If we look at our benchmarked analytics period, let's go back here, dashboard analytics, this is our 28 days. We've got about the same amount of views as last time, almost exactly the same, around 935 views per day. And this is kind of in that long form base mostly, right? Twenty-three. And half of those thousand are from long, but there is kind of this baseline shorts traffic that I see if we go all the way out to 90 days here, <laughs> minus the spike. You know, just kind of have that baseline shorts largely because of the battery grip short itself. That's kind of where views are for this period. We've got 1200 watch hours, which is the exact same as last time, up to 145 subscribers, down from last period, slightly from 150. And if we look at the source of these subscribers. Many of them are coming in from the 2024 gear bag video. This not a holy trinity that we spent the whole episode last time talking about. 44 of those 145 coming from that video. And then another big chunk coming from the long-term review of the RF 7200, which I have been using more often recently. Uh, coming back to this R7 body, I've spent a lot of time shooting this 100 to 400. The 70 to 200 has been hasn't gotten my full attention as it would lately as my favorite lens. So good to get back into this and there will be some more content around this soon. So those two videos account for 75 and then the rest are coming in by the handful and some singletons here. So that's subscriber source. If we go to if we go to revenue, that's at 68.31, which is up from 51. I was a little surprised by that. But if you dig deeper, it was as I suspected. CPM and RPM are taking this jump from December to January and you know, we only have a few days of February, but still trending that way for the moment. There's not a lot of data here, so we wouldn't want to read too far into these spikes, but definitely took a tick up and has been trending absolutely. So that's really where just the extra money is coming from there and probably the distribution of views on the higher CPM and RPM videos. So, you know, AdSense can fluctuate. We've known that. We don't want to count on it, but still nice to see it tick up. Click-through rates are up to 7.6. I think it was 7.7 last time. So just about the same. And AVD ticked up to 303 slightly, uh, but nothing crazy there and no very clear reason for that few second uptick. Obviously, I haven't posted videos. If we dive a little bit deeper into AdSense, 
the average day was $2.44, and the high day was the day after the upload of that video. So 531 was actually a little higher than launch day for the Not A Holy Trinity video. And we've got one, 155 as a low. Videos uploaded this period, you can see nothing, just the podcast that focused on the Not A Holy Trinity gear bag video that talked almost exclusively about that episode and how uh, the distribution of views in the beginning was really high. Beyond that, no content, no shorts, no long form in this last 28 days. I don't feel great about that. That doesn't feel good. Um, at the same time, one of the things that I like to control in terms of pacing and trying to stick around for the long haul here is just posting whenever I want. I know that posting on a schedule, a reliable schedule where people can you know, start to get a sense of when you're going to put stuff out can help you grow. At the same time, most of my content is still targeting search. And so what I like to provide regular content on regular days, every two weeks, every three weeks, or at least on the first of the month, I tried that for a little bit. I'd love to be able to say like new video, first of the month coming out, be here. At the same time, I just frankly don't want to care about that. I want to make the best video at the time. It's done when it's done. I'll drop multiple videos on the same day. That's probably what I'll do here in mid-February. And that's just a way for me to keep kind of like, I think what other people associate as like nagging stress or needing to upload by a certain date, you know, sometimes pushing out videos that they're not super proud of. I just kind of throw all that away. And if you're here, you're going to get what you get when it comes out, not a second before. And probably not good for growth, but it's good for me. And if it's good for me, it makes it easier to do this over the long haul without stopping. And that's really the goal. So for whoever it helps, if you're into this kind of thing, making videos for YouTube, zoom out. Don't be, if you're feeling stressed out about an upload schedule, just chuck the upload schedule. You can still grow, still make good stuff that you're happy with. And I'm actually going to jump. This will be the one video that we kind of revisit from an analytics perspective this episode before we talk about the R7. And that's because... If you're familiar with that last episode, this jumped off to a massive spike. You know, big browse and some suggested traffic here. Not the typical search intent for this video. And I deliberately put this video out kind of trying to target that browse traffic. Really, you know, what I think of as a clicky thumbnail here. I mean, we can see how it performed. It's still not spectacular, but between this title thumbnail combo, really trying to get people to click on this video. Um, as it lands in browse channels and not necessarily through search. And so that worked really well. And then it started to look like, you know, relatively it looks like it's going to die, but this isn't 30 days old even. So obviously tailing off pretty hard, but great to see it still gets some traffic. And if you look at this amongst other videos, um, it's kind of in the middle of the pack for the, the things that I typically see on this little leaderboard here. So it's not dead. It's just not, it's not growing nearly as fast. And probably won't. Maybe it'll go through different periods of catching a wave, starting up, dying down, growing on this more slow ramp. But right now, like still, still totally happy with how this is doing. Really glad that I did target this for browse. And then actually on the search front, it looks like most of the, the traffic is coming from kind of those newer bodies with the newest autofocus systems, the R8 and R6 Mark II, which is what I would expect, given that those are the two bodies behind this. All right, let's talk some R7. This is a rental. This is not something that I intended to buy. And after trying it, probably won't. Not that I expected it to change my opinion. And I've got the 50 on here, the Nifty 50. This is a gifted rental from Lens Rentals. So last episode, if you made it deep enough in this podcast, I restarted my affiliate relationship with them. And you'll see in the description, at least for the US people, 
If you're looking to rent, you can get 15% off your orders there at Lens Rentals using the link in my code. And that really helps to try things out before you buy. Or if you're taking things like this on a trip, maybe you don't want to buy it, you know, you can't buy it, but want to get some access. That's why it's helpful. And using that discount is the biggest way that you can support me here on this channel. If you are interested in doing something like that, you know, income from that program is going to go directly back into, you know, renting more, trying more and trying to bring you different videos and trying to expand what I know and what I can test about equipment to just get better at it overall. So that's the single best way you can do that today if you're interested. And I've really tried to put this to the test over the last 30 or so days. I've been using it mostly with the 70 to 200, with the 100 to 400 for sure. So kind of if you're not familiar, this Canon R7 has an APS-C sensor. R6 and R8 have full frame sensors. So you're getting that Canon 1.6 times crop. All of these lenses are going to be effectively a similar field of view, a similar look if you were to use longer lenses on a full frame sensor. So this 400 reach really becomes kind of that monster 640 millimeter equivalent field of view. And that's really what I wanted to test out because in my other videos around this lens, I've discussed like 400 feels great and I've been cropping in pretty aggressively to try to make the most of that, but it also just feels short in a lot of cases. And so, so this is me pairing these two pieces of equipment together really kind of experience what that 600-ish is like. I took a short little hike at a nearby state park this weekend, brought the 50 for this, and, you know, effectively a longer, more isolating you know, portrait lens. Haven't edited those photos. I don't know if anything will, anything will come out of those or if I'll post. If so, you'll see them in the video. Um, so trying to mix it up. The 28 is the widest prime that I have, and I've used that here as well for more of that normal-ish uh, focal length. So I'm missing, you know, given the kit I have, the kit that's described in in this video, the camera bag 2024 video, you know, I'm missing, you know, I haven't built my kit around needing to also use those lenses on an APS-C sensor. So in that way, I can't really take full advantage of this as an all-rounder. Right now, you know, looking at kind of that full frame equivalent-ish of around 40 and beyond. So just can't get that wide with it at the moment. It's not why I rented it, but it has factored into my opinions for sure. And one of the reasons that I don't wish to purchase an R7, uh, but starting with the body, I mean, this is where I try not to get on Canon too hard, but, you know, there is some really good stuff. And you've got two card slots here, um, some other ceiling. The battery is the same as the R6, and it lasts seemingly considerably longer on the R7. I already think the battery life on the R6 is pretty good, especially for photo first shooters but it feels even better on the R7. So I think that's a huge plus. And, you know, for people who can take advantage of this sensor, it's one of the probably best reasons to buy this. It just really lasts a long time and you can get by with two batteries for sure. For most people, I'd say. The R8, you have to have two batteries. The R7, for my typical use cases, I've rarely ever swapped in a second so far. That one gets me really, really far. And I've been doing a lot of filming with it as well. We'll get to that. Some of the things I don't like about the body, when I first picked it up, I, I didn't really like it at all. I kind of had a visceral hate reaction. It has this weird dial joystick combo up here. If you can, you can see that. I'm not sure if it'll focus if I hide and maybe it'll focus on there. It's not great. I have smaller hands. It feels like a really big stretch to want to get to this top of the wheel to get leverage to move this as I'd like. I have this set to aperture and then... Kind of been doing ISO on this dedicated ISO button here. I just don't love it. And obviously we're missing a dial where we have one in the middle with the R6 around the set button. So I don't like it. 
didn't like it to start off and it hasn't really grown on me. So that's one thing that I'm going to try in my review videos to not dive really deeply in. I think it is personal preference. I think if you're coming from something like the R8 or the RP, that's really kind of short on buttons, dials, and that like chunkier grip feeling, then I think you might appreciate what we have here on the R7. But if you're coming from the R6, R5, R3, this just doesn't feel the best. It doesn't feel great. It feels like a considerable step down away from that pro style body. I do love the on off video dial at the top. So one small click to go from off to on and then one more to go to video. Great way to jump between photos and video clips. And I think this is another one of these true hybrid cameras. I think a lot of people buying this, looking at this R7, are going to use it you know, mainly for photos. Potentially some people really heavily for video, but mainly for photos and then taking advantage of the great video options to get those clips. And this is just really, really, really nice. Love this dial. So we'll give it credit for that for sure. The ISO performance was definitely something a little bit new to me here because it's so great on the R6 generally. Uh, it's a lower megapixel body, the R6 is, and just performs really well in low light. This is an APS-C sensor and it's higher megapixels, I think 32, 32 or 33. So there's just a lot more noise. And it's kind of like if I'm shooting 3200 on this camera, it feels like it acts at least like 6400, maybe even 8000 on something like the R8. So I don't know. It's tough. It's just an adjustment. I tend to overexpose. And so I've really tried to get a little bit better when shooting on the R7, trying to nail exposure in camera because you need to if you want to get the best results. I find when I'm underexposing at 3200, 6400, 8000, and I'm trying to lift the shadows things fall apart pretty quick and there's just not as much detail. And so even though you have the larger megapixels, it's just hard to like sharpen it or rely on denoise AI. I've gotten better over the 30 days about getting my exposure closer in camera and that's helped. But you'll definitely notice a lot more noise on this body if you're coming from something like the R6 or R8. The extreme example is I shot some high school basketball this weekend as well. Used it with the 7200 and that's a pretty good range when seated in the stands for using the extra reach of the sensor and that 7200. 200 with that reach is almost too close for a lot of things, but the F4 in bad lighting inside when you're trying to keep that one over 800 shutter speed, I think I shot on ISO 8000, like 6400, 8000 the whole game, and they're noisy. You know, it's they're not terrible. They're not the worst pictures I've ever taken, but they're not quite as crisp as when I used the 7200 F4 on the R6 to shoot hockey. That combo is just much, much more forgiving and things were much cleaner and easier to clean up. And that was before the AI denoise and Lightroom even came out years ago at this point. So something to be aware of is that ISO. Again, not a deal breaker. You should expect it kind of given the, the sensor size, but something to note if you're coming from one of those full frame Canon, Canon bodies. And the autofocus, you know, still trying to feel the autofocus out. It feels different than the R6. It feels like a step down. It doesn't feel quite as sticky. It seems to hunt more. And I've used this in challenging situations with birds. Again, mostly on this 100 to 400, a lot of small birds with a lot of branches. It's dark. So I know that the stuff I'm shooting is challenging. I'm being nitpicky. Some of it's probably user error. I've played around with the autofocus cases, played around with um, single point, tiny point. I have back button focus set up like I have it on my R6. The AF on and star serve as single point. Autofocus is usually what I like the most. And then enabling eye detect autofocus on the other. That's working well. And it's not bad. Like it's really good overall. 
on video. This seems to be when I have this subject detect to people, it's grabbing my eye, it's locking on, just like the R8 and the 28 millimeter are hopefully doing right now. That in those areas, it seems to perform just as good as the R6 and the R8. It's the photos long distance that I seem to notice the hunting, pecking. Sometimes you have to stop autofocus to get it to restart and hunt in the correct direction. So I think there is something small in the performance of the autofocus there that goes beyond just how I'm using it personally. Something to think about and note, but, you know, overall having a lot of fun with this and, you know, really got some some images that I just couldn't have gotten with the 400 millimeter on the R6 because you get the extra reach and then you can additionally crop in. And then the other thing that I just want to reiterate is that this is a pretty solid video camera as well. I think it's a true hybrid just as I think about the R6. No record limit, haven't hit any overheating myself on this body yet. I've used it for the previous version of the podcast, I think. I filmed a lot of angles on the most recent video on my hockey channel and was using this uh, pretty heavily there. So I've definitely put this to use and it's good as, again, I don't have super wide lenses to use on this. So using this as the punched in view or when I'm filming this A-roll shot with the R7, you know, moving this tripod back, that gets tricky if you don't have the space. But moving this back a little bit and using that 28 millimeter, I can still get that nice desk shot. The 4K fine that you use in 24 frames per second and 30 frames per second, that looks really great. It's oversampled from the 7K here. So it looks really good. The 4K60 looks pretty good too. I think the 4K60 that's most interesting on this camera is actually the 4K60, I think they call it one-to-one. So it actually, if you have your full sensor, it takes the 4K out of the middle of the sensor and crops in an additional, I think it's 1.8. So one area where I use that nicely was with the 100 to 400, I happened upon another bald eagle in this area, not the ones from Colorado, put this on the R7, had the tripod out, zoomed all the way to 400. So you're getting that 1.6 crop factor all the way to 400. Then I switched to the 4K crop mode and punched in that additional 1.8 times. Like I said, I think I believe it is. And you're really looking at a, a long distance. And that's what I can drop this clip on the timeline. But that's this is where I'm using, I'm on the tripod, so this is stable enough because you know, obviously working with really, really long focal lengths here to get some stability. It's on the tripod, doing a slow zoom on top of that 4K60 punch in. And this eagle is really, really far away. And you're still managing to get something that looks decent or usable, at least for YouTube. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know where you're going to use this clip other than a YouTube video, at least for me. But it looks usable. It looks decent. Is it the sharpest? No. Is there some noise here? Sure. But I think to get this view is is really neat when you're doing it with a relatively affordable camera and you're doing it with kind of a cheap lens. So I think that's where some of the magic's happening in this combo, you know, for, I don't know, around $2,000, you can get just some absolutely monster reach, particularly if you're gonna be taking some of these 4K clips. Are they gonna be the best in the world? No. Are they pretty good and something that, you know, would have been really hard to get a couple of years ago? I think so, at least for $2,000. So. That's cool. I'll continue to use this over the next week or so, finalize those videos. So that's kind of the experience notes that I have so far. For upcoming videos, like I mentioned last time, there's one more recut sponsored video and that's getting like, tentative titles, getting views with reviews, kind of my approach to review videos and the process of how I set those up and how I think about things to try to make helpful videos so that they will get seen. And then obviously using recut when it gets to editing there to really streamline the process and cut time way out of it. 
And then with the R7, a couple videos that I'm hoping to get out. One that I think will focus on the zooms specifically or mostly. It'll kind of be like a general R7 review, but really the majority of this time has been spent shooting long. So we'll dive into some of those images before afters like we always do as I slide across, kind of reiterate all those points that I just went through and finalize kind of my, my take, my thoughts on those. Then I think I'll probably try to do, I haven't officially reviewed the R6, R8, and I don't know that I will from like a technical or semi-technical standpoint. Again, that's not something I really love, but I think what I will do is compare the R6 versus R7 versus R8 because I think that choice might be hard for some people and just trying to provide my opinion on where to land with respect to those three bodies, I think might help some people. And if you're someone who shoots with two bodies, obviously, you know, a lot of people will pair the R6 and R7, the R5 and the R7. So great companion body, but how you might want to think about R6, R7, R8. And then I'll probably try to do one last video around this R7 focusing on a deep dive into some of the editing. I haven't done Lightroom tutorials or kind of behind the scenes of my editing process, but because I have some of these monster reach photos, I think I want to do that here and maybe go through a handful of photos more in depth and we'll see how that goes. So like I said, kind of a quick one running through these. You can see our 48 hour period. If you're new, I do an episode here every 100 subscribers until we get to 5,000, then we'll change it up a little bit. That's happening currently around every three weeks. So I'll catch you soon. Next time we'll have more analytics focused on what I imagine are you know, hopefully the first two of those R7 videos in that series and maybe some shorts, just generally more content to review. So we'll dive into that. And depending on the details that I include in those videos, I might talk a little bit more in depth on some of those thoughts or flesh out things that didn't quite make the script in those videos. So much more on the R7 next time. Until then, later.